From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. People often say that they want positive news stories. You know, they complain that the news is too negative. Why aren't you sharing better news? But the thing is, they rarely actually read positive news. And Sean Delvin wanted to know why. In our initial market survey, we noticed that 81% of people weren't familiar with any positive news platform. So clearly it hadn't reached mass market. That is Sean. I'll tell you more about him in a minute. But suffice to say, the guy is a newsletter pro. He understands how to build newsletters. Now, it's not like there were no positive news platforms out there. Others have tried to build them, but with limited success. The actor John Krasinski launched a popular but short-lived YouTube series called Some Good News, for example. You might remember it got a lot of attention at the time. But a lot of efforts have failed. <laughs> like There was this uh, one local newspaper in Russia that, as an experiment, decided to devote a day to only positive news stories. They would only run stories of good things happening in their local community. And do you know what happened? <laughs> they saw a 66% drop in readership that day. So Sean is looking at all this, and he's thinking about his newsletter building background, and he wanted to see if he could crack the code. Could he create the positive news outlet that people say they want, but that hasn't really gotten traction before? And the answer, it seems, is Yes, Sean has launched Nice News, which now has 450,000 newsletter subscribers and is building a healthy business on top of feel-good stories. And you can subscribe to this, by the way, by going to nicenews.com, nicenews.com. It's a daily newsletter. I get it. I've been getting it for a while. I really like it. It's nice. So how did Sean do this? Well, that is what we are going to break down today on Problem Solvers. I'm talking to Sean about how he built this platform and then more generally, his advice for anyone who wants to build an email newsletter on any subject that reaches a wide audience and can make real money. All coming up after the break. There's an article that I bring up pretty regularly when I talk with entrepreneurs about the dangers of not adapting to change. It's called Why Big Companies Can't Innovate. And it argues that as companies shift all their focus and incentives towards being efficient, they stop focusing on new ways to create value. I love that piece. And it was published in Harvard Business Review, the leading destination for smart management thinking and articles like that. Through its flagship magazine and digital content and tools published on hbr.org, Harvard Business Review provides professionals around the world with rigorous insight and best practices to help lead themselves and their organizations more effectively and to make a positive impact. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. 
Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code SOLVERS right now to take advantage of this great offer. Again, go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code SOLVERS to learn more about this great opportunity to help manage your career and business. All right, we're back. I am talking with Sean Delvin, founder of Nice News. And before we get into how he built Nice News and his advice for anyone who wants to build newsletters, let's talk a little bit about the newsletter industry that he comes from. I asked Sean, well, what's your background? Well, I started in the email space about seven years ago. And at the time, it was at a company called Inbox Lab, which was basically an incubator for ideas centered around email. A quick note here, since Sean and I recorded this conversation a few months ago, Inbox Lab has renamed itself Optimism. Newsletters have gained a lot of traction the past couple of years, but at the time it was relatively innovative to think about email as a platform for publishing. And when you think about newsletters, obviously immediately you're think, you think about news first. And then when you think about email, oftentimes you think about email as a channel to drive traffic to web. But at the time, we were looking at other unique types of products that we could provide in the inbox. And we started with a brand called The Discover, which was an email, like a weekly email travel guide featuring a new destination every week delivered to your inbox. And then from there, launched a full-fledged website and a variety of other email products like a fact of the day, a quote of the day, a word of the day. So I've been in the, the email space for a little while now. And then was there for about five years before deciding to, to shift gears and do something separate, but still actually funded by the parent company, Pardone Ventures, called Nice News. I think a lot of people have seen the growth of products like Morning Brew and The Hustle and said, oh, the next great opportunity is in building things in email. And now, of course, there's an explosion of monetizable personal newsletters, thanks to Substack and Beehive and so on. Before we get into what you specifically did with Nice News, tell me what you think of the marketplace for newsletters right now and how challenging it is to build a business in there. I think there's still a lot of opportunity, even though there are more and more players in the game now. I think there are very niche kind of target audiences that you can find depending on what it is that you want your newsletter to be focused on. But ultimately, it still feels like, from my perspective, it's early. I think people are willing to engage with a good amount of content in their inbox. I mean, it depends on the individual. But I mean, if you think of it almost like a social feed, you're willing to subscribe to a wide variety of content and engage with that content on a daily basis, depending on the length of the content that you're subscribed to. Part of the reason that I decided to do Nice News is that it is a little bit more targeted and I didn't see anything else that was currently out there that was being fulfilled in, in particular in the inbox space centered around positive news. If you have a, a specific concept in mind and you don't see something out there, and even if you do see something out there, if you have a particular angle that you could take that's different, I still think there's a lot of opportunity to grow audience now and even more tools to use to grow that audience as well. Sean, you, first of all, Tell me the scale of Nice News so we can appreciate what you've built here so far. Nice News currently is nearing 450,000 subscribers, and we've been around for almost a year and a half right now. 
which is pretty crazy. We're lucky in that we are a parent company that is the sole investor in Nice News, owns and operates a variety of other email-focused publications. So obviously they're invested in the success and growth of Nice News as well. And we started with what we call cross-pollination and getting messaging in front of subscribers on those other publications. If we think that they're interested in Nice News, sending dedicated email campaigns or sections within emails or on web, driving people to Nice News to subscribe. So that's been a tactic of ours from the beginning and is still a tactic. Another thing we've used to grow the audience has been giveaways. And this is something that I think is a little bit misunderstood. And it's something that you have to be careful in the approach. And it works better when you have a little bit of scale. But we use a platform called Dojo Mojo that allows us to connect with other brands and ultimately share subscribers that join the giveaways. You have to make sure you get the right partners on board that are really aligned. You have to get the right messaging in front of those individuals so they understand what it is that they're opting into. And the welcome flow, I think, is really important, too, where you get the right messaging in front of them with the first welcome message, an easy ability to opt out if they're not interested in subscribing to Nice News or whatever it is that you're sending them. That's been a huge tactic of ours that has allowed us to scale with the caveat that you do have to to really filter through those subscribers. Sean, can you break some of that down? Because you said at the beginning of the giveaway stuff that it's misunderstood. And I think I know what you mean in that Mm -hmm. I once did a giveaway for my newsletter and that giveaway was to give away a MacBook. I bought a MacBook and then I was going to mail it to whoever won a raffle. Uh, The way to enter the raffle was to fill out this form and therefore be subscribed to my newsletter. And what I ended up getting after promoting this with some paid social stuff, as well as through my own channels, was a ton of people who subscribed to my newsletter. But very few of whom seemed to care about my newsletter. They had only subscribed because they were trying to get the MacBook, which I totally understand. And that experience left me thinking, why on earth would I ever do a giveaway? So what you're talking about is something that's far more sophisticated, but can you break it down for dummies like me about how, for example, you can find the right partner that's going to align and then how you build the welcome series in a way that's actually going to attract people who are going to care about your newsletter? Like, what are you doing that I didn't? It all starts with the messaging. I mean, in the media buying campaigns that you were doing, if is it is it centered around the MacBook or is it centered more around the product that it is that they're going to be receiving? And I think it can be a combination of the two. I think the prize, it works well when kind of everything aligns, when the prize aligns with the product of your email series. When you're able to target people, you're aligning with partners that have very similar audiences or similar brands to yours. I think it works well for Nice News because our brand is a little bit more generic. It's a little bit more broad. So Mm. the audience that we're targeting is a little bit wider. So we're able to cast a little bit of a wider net. What are you saying that is going to somehow capture people who care about the newsletter, not just people who care about the giveaway? Like, What's the messaging actually feel like? So for a particular campaign, for instance, the pricing could be maybe centered around wellness. It could be a wellness retreat. So someone that is interested in health and wellness, they're interested in maybe self-improvement. They're interested in wellness as a whole. So they have an interest in the prize itself that then aligns with nice news to a degree because we feature content centered around health and wellness as well. And maybe cultural articles or, or content that aligns with the prize. Maybe we bring on aligned partners and other newsletters that are are somewhat similar. Maybe their audience skews similar demographics, psychographics to Nice News as well. 
And then we have a messaging on the landing page that references the publications. It's not just referencing the pricing. So we're getting people to join the giveaway because we've partnered with very aligned brands that have value to add. And obviously you have an opportunity to also win this, this wonderful prize. And then from there, once someone joins, they, they understand that they're opting in also to receive communication from these brands. You still do, as I said, have to do a lot of filtering through those subscribers once they sign up and make sure they actually are interested. And a lot of them won't be, but there's mm. still a, a large subset that will be interested and engage with your content. And the reason to filter through them is because you just, you don't want a bunch of people who are never going to open your email because it drives down your open rate and also maybe flags your newsletter as spam. Like, why are you filtering through those yeah. people? Exactly. Multiple reasons, but one of those would be deliverability. So you want to make sure that you're able to maintain deliverability with high open rates, high click-through rates. And in general, I mean, when we're partnering, our core kind of method for monetization right now is partnering with different brands, doing partnership sponsors within the emails. We want to have a high engagement rate. So we want people to be aligned with our product and aligned with those brands and engage with that, with the messaging that we have in front of them. So that's why we're looking to filter out those people who aren't opening or aren't clicking. Got it. So let's talk about how to make this subject area work. You picked nice news because you wanted nice news in the world, but also because you saw this white space. And yet, I don't know if you were aware of this, but you and I talked about this before we started recording that there's been a world of efforts to build something off of good news because there's always this complaint that, oh, the news is always so depressing. If only there was better news. But of course, when people have set out to make nice news. It often doesn't find an audience. And that's because I think fear <laughs> drives more engagement than feel good. And yes. so there have been television shows built around feel good news that don't really work. And there have been all sorts of other apps and products. So when you got into this and you started to think, how can we make a real run at a business that's going to find an audience that's going to be built around this subject. How did you start thinking about who your audience was and what your presentation was going to be? So early on, I think we had a, a, a lot of hypotheses around what we thought people would want. And we wanted to prove those through initial kind of market surveys. So we did initial market surveys to get a sense of what people are even looking for in news. And the like unsolicited, unprompted, people would immediately say more positivity. They would say that they're looking for content that is uplifting. They're looking for content that's not biased. They're looking for content that's not negative, often not political. And so we, we understood that there was a desire for this. But to your point, there were a lot of other publications as well. For instance, when I started to kind of come up with the idea, this was around the time early in, in 2021, when COVID was was peaking. John Krasinski had his Some Good News show, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with. There was oh, yeah. a lot of success on social with accounts like Tank's Good News and Good News Movement, where we saw certain platforms working really well for uplifting content. But a lot of that content was just more kind of feel-good content. Some of the web publications were in the social impact space, but also still a little bit more niche, and to your point, not mainstream. And in our initial market survey, we noticed that 81% of people weren't familiar with any positive news platform. So clearly it hadn't reached mass market. And we're trying to understand the reasoning for that. There's a desire for it. But like, is there enough good news out there for us to curate? And do people feel the need to engage with this on a daily basis? 
So it really, from the beginning for us, started with curation and understanding what it is that people want to see in their inbox on a daily basis and how can we make this entertaining, relevant, enjoyable for people to want to open and read on a daily basis. So uh, we understood that there was success in email newsletters. So we wanted to capitalize on that model and find the right approach with a good news angle to provide really relevant, uplifting content that makes people feel good on a daily basis. Who did you think the audience was going to be? We are a little bit more focused on psychographics than demographics, but I assumed it would skew a little bit more female. Currently, it skews a little bit older, but ultimately we are looking to capture a wide audience. We're not focused on a particular age range. It's people who are optimistic about the world, who care about humanity and want to feel connected to others and the planet. What surprised you about who has shown up or who has engaged or what they've wanted as you started to build this? I'd say something that surprised me is that there's not one specific topic that is the highest engaging. So we feature a wide variety of topics from scientific discoveries to advancements in health and wellness to environment stories, culture, human interest, and people engage with content from every category. It really depends on the story that we're covering. But also within the email, I think what surprised me is that it can be something that we reference high up in the email within the intro, or it can be something that's just linked out in a smaller section further down in the email that could get the highest volume of clicks. So we noticed that people are reading the entire email and ultimately engaging with what is kind of the most relevant and interesting to them. And it does vary on a daily basis. So that surprised me. That is surprising because usually any media outlet, and I've worked at many of them, will find these often very disappointing patterns in what their audience will react to, that you know that if you put out another stupid story about some weird thing Elon Musk said that everyone's going to click on it, and then you're Mm -hmm. always living in this tension of, do we keep feeding this stupid machine because it benefits us in these metrics that matter, or do we not because we don't want to just become this echo chamber of only leaning into the things that we know are going to traffic. You're not seeing that. I wonder if that's because you're not, by the very nature of the content that you're producing, leaning into lowest yeah. common denominator stuff. Exactly. I think it's, it's likely that. It's easy to fall into the trap of clickbait. And to your point, I mean, if it bleeds, it leads. If there's negative content, it tends to perform better. But ultimately, through the filter of nice news, there are only certain stories that we're able to feature, that we're willing to feature, that we determine deserve our our stamp of approval, whether it's a specific story or an angle on a particular topic that we want to cover. It's difficult. And I think it's funny because early on in creating nice news, I came across this study that was, I don't remember all the specifics, but it was an outlet in Eastern Europe that decided just for a day to change their headlines. It's the same stories that they were featuring, just shifting their headlines to be in a positive light. And through that shift, they had to drastically decrease their volume of engagement and drastically (laughs) decrease their revenue just for a day. And it was the same stories. And I think the article even mentioned at the end, it was something like, one thing's for certain, people don't want good news. And I think people would think I'm crazy to decide to move forward with nice news after reading an article like that. But I think it was a very contained study where the audience that is accustomed to negative headlines, accustomed to particular types of content. So it's something that we're trying to cultivate an audience that is not looking for that. It's people that have become 
fed up with the negativity in news, people who want to be uplifted, people who want stories that make them feel good. And I think that over a period of time, people start to realize that, like the tactics that certain outlets are using to get you to click, just to get you to click to engage with a particular article. I mean, ultimately, like if it's a negative headline, it makes you feel a certain way. And I think our audience has gravitated to us because we make them feel good. And every morning they, they wake up and they read our content and they want to come back. That's such a great point about what the audience that that experiment was reaching was acclimated to and how you can, you can build a different audience and therefore reach them without that level of expectation. You're really filtering for people who want that. It's funny what you said there about what people want or how they can even get exhausted by it reminds me of a observation that I made uh, is not a brilliant observation, but it was, it was something that I came to that really helped me shift my own news consumption, which was that I realized this was years ago that I was spending a lot of time, like I think a lot of people clicking on and reading stories that were built off of whatever the outrage cycle of the day was. Somebody said something outrageous and then that got its own coverage and then somebody responded to it and that got its own coverage. And I used to read all that stuff. I was totally captivated by it. I would see it on Twitter. I would wherever. And then I started to skip them. And what I discovered was that they didn't matter. <laughs> like the outrage cycle could continue apace without me. And it didn't matter to my life whether or not I was aware that that outrageous person said that outrageous thing. Like I could skip entire cycles and not be aware of it. And it didn't impact my life one way or the other, because when I was aware of it, it also wasn't actually impacting my life with the exception of that it was taking a lot of time away from me that I could spend on other things. And once you realize that, you really liberate yourself from the outrage cycle because you realize how much energy it's draining from you and how it is providing nothing in return. It doesn't give you anything. It gives you zero new information about the world. It gives you zero new information about how to build something for yourself. It gives you zero new connections with people. It gives you zero. And if you can figure out a way to reach people without doing that and never engage them in that way, then they never come to expect it. And mm -hmm. now you've built something that maybe they feel like is actually additive to them. What do you think? Exactly. No, I think you hit the nail on the head. We're cultivating an audience that is reading our content for the right reasons. And they then engage with that content based on how we present it to them. And yeah, if we don't fall into the trap of clickbait or featuring negative headlines, then people aren't going to be reading our content because of that. So it makes Sean, sense. Finally, can you just take us inside what the team looks like? Like, what does it actually yeah. look like inside of Nice News to operate this kind of thing every day? And just so people understand, this newsletter comes out twice a day. Am I right about that? So we have our daily edition that's sent every morning. And then we have three times a week, we do article compilation sends as well. So our core product is our daily email digest that's delivered every morning. And we also publish articles on our website. So we'll sometimes include links to those articles or do article compilation sends. But our team is relatively lean, given the kind of scope and breadth of content that we're covering. We have our managing editor came from People Magazine, Natalie. 
And she brought over our associate editor, Ali, from People as well. And then we have a staff writer, Rebecca, as well, who focuses primarily on the Sunday editions and the website content. So the majority of the content's written by Ali in-house, and we have also freelance curators. So we have almost 100 sources that our curators are looking through on a daily basis to find the top news stories that align, thinking about nice news, align with our product and what we want to feature. And then from there, we really filter down those stories on a daily basis. So each morning looking through those and then obviously kind of keeping a pulse on other news platforms as well internally within the team, but deciding what we want to feature, writing the daily edition, editing that daily edition in-house on a daily basis, and then ultimately inputting that into our ESP and scheduling it out to our audience in the afternoon. And our content's a little bit it's timely, it's relevant, but it's also not breaking news. So we're trying to kind of slow down the news cycle a little bit. And I think it's really built into our product since it's since once a day. We're not like updating on breaking news 15 minutes after something happens, but it's also the types of content that we're featuring. And our audience likes that a lot of the stories that we're featuring, we hear this kind of countless times where people say, I love that what I'm reading on Nice News, I don't see anywhere else. And I think that we realize the importance of curation and making sure we're kind of uncovering these really relevant, important stories. So it gives us that flexibility where we can then schedule it, not like 15 minutes before it's sending at 3 a.m. or anything like that. We have the ability to, to work a little bit more normal hours with our internal team. Mm. And what about any kind of team for the growth of the newsletter? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, it's mostly me. I mean, we have some shared resources through the parent company as well. but. Yeah, I mean, we have a variety of tactics. I didn't mention this before, but a lot of our growth is, of course, organic too. So we have certain pieces of content that just really resonate with our audience that result in them sharing. And ultimately, a lot of the content that we feature is emotional. It connects with our audience to their core, and it results in them feeling compelled to share that with members of their family, of their community. And I know that People think that maybe NPS score is a little outdated, but our NPS score is in the upper 70s and it just shows that people are interested and willing to and want to share our content. So we lean into that and ultimately we're focused on our product first in looking to scale. Awesome. Well, Sean, thanks for taking us inside and for uh, adding a little more niceness to the world. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Jason. And that's our episode. I would love to hear what you think and maybe even about a problem that you solved. You can find me at my website, jasonpfeiffer.com. J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com. Also, I have some more useful stuff for you. I write a newsletter about how to future-proof yourself and become more adaptable and optimistic. I would love for you to sign up. It is at jasonpfeiffer.bulletin.com. Also, check out my other podcast. It's called Build for Tomorrow. In each episode, I take on some belief that we have that holds us back from progress and show you why it is not as bad as you think. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.